Hi, my name is Sasha Alexander Sternick, and this is podcast I'm Curious. Today I'm very privileged by being around two wonderful women who are extremely powerful and also very, very nice. Please welcome my co-host Zoe Braddock and the guest of today's episode, Ethel Tambodai. Ethel is a 24-year-old founder of Generation Africa. This is an online platform with a presence on the ground that seeks to amplify the contributions and progress of the African diaspora who live in the UK. She is also founder and director of Tambo Group Limited, which works to make the vision of sustainable financial capital a reality by connecting private investors, governments, and third sector parties together. They facilitate the introduction of all parties to ensure clarity, transparency, and security of resources for all parties. Ethel has also been vice president of the Student Union at the University of Westminster, where she read international relations and development studies in 2018. She was previously a member of the United Kingdom Youth Parliament for Buckinghamshire, 2012 to 2014. Hi, Ethel. Hi, Zoe. It's good to have you both here today. Thank you. Thank Hi, you. thank you for having me. So, I'm actually... Okay, I might have stalked you in a non-creepy way because I looked into your LinkedIn while I was preparing... <laughs> For this episode, um, that's why I have so many views. <laughs> of course, there's, those are all me. So I know there's actually several things I'm interested about. Um, obviously, I'm interested about Tumble Group. Mm-hmm. I'm interested about race and the agenda. Okay, yeah. And I'm also interested about Generation Africa. Okay. As well as maybe Youth Parliament, but that's if we will have time. Okay, cool. So, what do you want to talk about first? Um, great stuff. So. I guess I'll start with Generation Africa, I'll lead into Race and the Agenda, and then how that fits into town. So, Generation Africa is an online platform with a physical presence that seeks to amplify the contributions and progress of the African diaspora in the UK. What that means is telling African stories, so telling the stories of African people living in the UK or Mm -hmm. descendants of, um, and telling the story of what does Africa look like today? So not just Africa on the continent, but us as people who carry African heritage in the UK, because I felt, so since the Windrush scandal, for example, everyone talks about Windrush as though that was the only boat that came to the UK. Um, What is Windrush for those who don't know? So in the 1960s, following the Second World War, a lot of people had died, a lot of people were getting old, and there wasn't enough, there weren't enough people in the UK to keep the economy going, to actually grow it, and to build industry. Mm-hmm. So the UK sent out a call across the empire, um, their empire then, Commonwealth now, um, and asked for people to either come and work or to come and study and then like contribute in some way, shape or form. So the Windrush is um, was, was one of the massive ships that came from the Caribbean islands, um, which I believe was one of the first, one of the first few, uh, one of the first few that came to the UK um, with a lot of West Indian people and Car- people of Caribbean heritage coming to work in the UK. But it's almost like the government forgot to tell British people mm-hmm. that they'd set up this massive call to say, we need you, come and help rebuild Britain. So all these people turned up to the UK and were faced with massive hostility because people were saying, you're going to steal our jobs, what are you doing here? Okay. But actually, the government recognised they didn't have enough manpower or couldn't sustain growth. That sounds like pretty much what was happening now and what is currently happening in the States, to be honest. Yes. So the, the significance of Windrush or the Windrush generation 
is that a lot of those people came to the UK, were offered, oh, come and work, and you'd get citizenship. It was almost assumed. Um, and when unspoken for many years, but those people receive the same benefits because they're working in all the different industries, bus driving, everything. Um, and and then the government under Theresa May, or just before Theresa May became Home Secretary, shredded all those residency cards, all those cards for the people who'd come in during the Windrush generation. So therefore, when they fill in forms, they aren't considered British citizens anymore. So a lot of people were deported because they weren't apparently technically British citizens, they were subjects, but they didn't have any claim to having citizenship in the UK. And there many of them were born in the UK or their families came during this Windrush era. Good to add. Yeah, I'm they, not an expert. I'm not an expert. Basically because they didn't, uh, there was no paper documentation trail yeah. that uh, was set up at the time when mm. people came in. Uh, the 10 year rule of living here for 10 years and then you can apply for citizenship. There was a claim by certain government members that uh, these people had not lived here for 10 years because there was no proof of when they entered the country. And therefore, if there was no proof of when they entered the country and there was no documentation, they must have come in as illegal immigrants. And so were treated in the same way as um, many of the people who had who had snuck into the country, uh, even though they had come under completely legitimate reasons, had come with the invitation of the British government, but were being treated in the same way as if they hadn't. And uh, this came out in quite a large scandal a couple of years ago um, as to the sheer extent of what this was. Mm. And there's been several calls for reparations from the government to the uh, Mm. nations where people have been deported back to Mm. and to try and, you know, let people return to their homes for the last 50, 60 years. Um, So it's been quite a cultural shift, especially now that we're in the same point where, again, we're at a point where we have an ageing population, especially in Mm. devolved nations like Scotland and Wales. uh, Their population is almost like there is going to be a problem with... um, with having an aging population and not enough people coming into the workforce and places like Scotland are relying on immigration to Mm. be able to function as a country for the next 20-30 years. Which is why they're so pro-leave and are like not a fan of the UK government talking about Brexit and increasing the hostile environment. Scotland is incredibly pro-remain at the moment. It's the only nation to vote remain in the last referendum and a lot of the calls for a second referendum are over their desire to remain within the EU. What? First of all, this is weird. As um, I'm trying not to swear right now because I don't know, maybe we have listeners that are beyond the team. Uh, but that reminds me of the situation with uh, dreamers in the States right now and mm-hmm. all that. Um, I thought UK is so much faster, as in like slightly well. more civilized. No offense to the US. It, it very much depends on the people who are uh, who are in control of that area at that particular point of time. Mm. This was a situation that had progressed kind of quite happily for 40, 50 years. Or would believed had progressed. Had, uh, yeah. Yes, believed to be. And has deteriorated over the... Like, it deteriorated over about 12 months. Okay. So, Generation Africa scandal. Cool. So, Generation Africa... Um, the idea or the notion of what it could be started before then during my time at university 
moving to London and looking for things that I could identify or better explore my African identity through and via through understanding what does it look like to be African in the UK, even though I was living that experience, but to be able to articulate it, having grown up in the in Buckinghamshire, which many will know, voted largely leave and remains blue upon blue, and now is becoming slightly purple, which kind of tells you a little bit about the diversity sometimes. Um, but it's, so my desire to want to find community or space where I could build community with people who could better educate me um, or who could share their experiences of what it was like growing up in the UK. Because I was born in Zimbabwe and then came to the UK when I was six. So having done all my schooling and education, I always knew I was Zimbabwean. But what did it mean to be Zimbabwean? What did that mean having dual identity in terms of being African British or Zimbabwean British or whatever you want to call it? but always knowing I have more than one identity and how do I marry them both together. So not having found a space where I could find, like find all the different things that were going on, if it's theater or if it's university societies or um, artists or just different events that were happening around the like around London particularly, um, I found that a massive shame and had many friends who would ask me because I'd grown up in the UK for advice of where to go and I had no clue. So Generation Africa aims to kind of solve that problem by being an online catalogue of all the different things. So if you're looking for talks, if you're looking for companies, if you're looking for universities that have strong societies or strong, for example, the Ox Oxford University, they have the Oxford Business Africa Forum, they have the Oxford Africa Society, they have so many different things, but not everybody would know that um, just by looking at Oxford University, for example. Um, but being able to do something like that, starting off with London and then being able to build the network of looking for charities, for example, if you want to be able to access your embassies, we're working to bring embassies on board as partners to be able to share information if they're doing events. Um, and we're looking to build, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, don't know if I should say it now, but looking to increase opportunities for our members and people who are interested in having work experience opportunities at different embassies across London because there's so many of them, but they're almost like the hardest ones to get into. So trying to understand what are the challenges on the embassy side and how do we help them solve that? That makes so much sense now if you want to think about this. Yeah. Because um, obviously I'm a Jew, so and there are uh, quite, quite a number of Jewish cultural centers, mm. Jewish platforms which are doing exactly that. So mm. it's good to see people kind of referring to parts of their identities mm. and like, Hey, let's embrace that because we could. Why not? Yeah. Why yeah. do you think that like this seems like such an intuitive way to go forwards? Mm. Um, what sort of difficulties have you like come across when you've been looking to set this up because you're launching this summer? Yes. So we have a launch party this summer, um, and we should have some part of the website open for members to sign up to or people to engage with. Um, I think the biggest challenge has been finding sources of funding, but um, so. I found out a few years ago, or about two years ago, that the U UN declared 2014 to 2000, sorry, 2015 to 2024 as the decade for celebrating people of African and Caribbean heritage. Theresa May then subsequently said she would not, like the UK would not be recognizing this decade, which seems quite counterintuitive considering the whole Windrush story and alongside people from the Caribbean, there were many people from 
Africa, like from across Africa, many people from across India and across the world. And I think that says a lot about the work that is yet to be done, um, talking and celebrating and acknowledging the contributions of African people in the UK. So I think funding has been a big one, but the more I've looked into what does it mean that it's the decade of African, there's more funding opportunities have come up and based on the different partners, so we're looking at working with businesses and the different things we want to do, we're finding there are more and more people who are interested. They just don't know how to engage with it. Because a lot of people go, well, the black communities goes, yes, but what does the black community mean? What does that look like? Um, you've, it's essentially giving a people with the same color skin um, to telling them you're a community. It's like saying um, the Christian community are all one across the world, which is completely not true. So it's about saying, yes, that is true, but do you understand the nuances of what it means to have African employees, colleagues, all of that? But what does it actually look like? And how do we not erase what it means to be African as well in a more globalized world? Or how does, do we stop the erosion of what that identity looks like and keep celebrating it and keep the richness of it. That sounds like an amazing project. What's the address of the website for those who actually would like to check it out? www.generationafrica.org Be sure to keep an eye on that if this is something which is interesting because we need more opportunities like that yeah. and we need to support innovation which brings stuff like that and if you would like to find out further um the link will be in the description for this podcast uh so if you did not manage to catch it then just scroll down and you will find it and we're looking for supporters and people to get involved alongside the team and <laughs> um, feel free to email us it's all on the website okay so you said that generation africa will lead us to race on the agenda if i'm not mistaken yes can we talk a little bit about that cool so i'm a trustee for race on the agenda uk so they're a civil rights organization so the civil rights charity um the focus is on like keeping race on the agenda a lot of the work we do is around research uh research around communities for example we've just published a report that was funded by the european human rights commission um, on Grenfell um, and the people who were affected by Grenfell. So many people focused on those living in the towers, which is evidently right, and those whose homes were also destroyed or were needed during that whole effort by emergency services. Um, but some of the work we've done is around people living in the surrounding communities. For example, those people who weren't necessarily in danger during the fire, um, who have survived, or many of whom have, but are now left living in homes that face Grenfell Tower and for some people that with PTSD or having gone through many different um, situations or experiences with their mental health um, have almost been neglected by services because services are primarily focusing on those who are in the tower and relatives are um, in terms of rehousing which is still an ongoing thing. So our work as Race on the Agenda was doing the research that isn't being done by the government and that isn't being done by other civil rights organisations, primarily because of funding or access to those particular communities. And making the government aware, so when they say, we have done our research, well, we can bring this document um, with statistical facts and people's stories, people who live around, people's experiences. So I believe this was from 
the year after her grenfell that this research was done um everyone who was involved um was offered um counseling psychotherapy and different things like that to assist in the process um but that's some of the work that racing the agenda do and i think it's so closely linked to generation africa because regardless of who you are um if you feel so anybody can be a member of race on the agenda and it's like looking at the work that we do as a charity it's focused on um, amplifying the voices of ethnic minorities or BEMA communities which stands for black asian minority ethnic and refugee communities across the uk and highlighting what it is that the challenges that they're facing like what can be done to make that better and making sure that the government is aware of that through our all parliamentary party groups that we host every so often. Before we actually will go to Tambagood, how does Rolto fit with your work with which you're doing with Generation Africa? Because you said they're like interconnected, but mm-hmm. can you extrapolate on that if that's okay? So the work I do with Generation Africa and Race on the Agenda is interlinked in that we're amplifying the voices of people often marginalized. Um, race on the agenda being broader and a, a stronger force. I think the fact they've been around for 20 years and being respected and the way we host uh, all parliamentary group. Well, we're a leading researcher in the way that BEMA voices and local communities are recognized and represented um, up to parliament through our all parliamentary party groups. And the way MPs get to hear people's voices, they probably wouldn't get to meet. Um, the way that research is done based on what our members feel is important. I believe we have over 600 members um, signed up to Rota to race on the agenda. That includes small civil rights organizations, individuals, community groups that all need, um, that are looking for capacity building work, which Rota then often supplies. Generation Africa is different or is similar in that we're representing or we're looking to represent the African diaspora, which is no small feat at all. Um, But in trying to increase access to opportunities and trying to make information accessible and those opportunities accessible and the services that people need accessible. Uh, How does that fit into Tambo Group? So with Tambo Group, um, it's essentially a consulting company that I've set up, um, where on one side, I introduce investments in renewable energy and infrastructure. I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an investment advisor or financial planner, but my role is to connect people who, so I've met, I have a network of private individuals who invest in in renewable energy or have interest in, um, and disruptive technologies. And then I also, have met different people through networking opportunities via Generation Africa, um, like governments, like embassies, who are looking and seeking investment in like solar farms, hydropower, wind farms, but they just have no idea where to look. And I just thought, why, why not use this great opportunity to essentially consult and introduce these people together who might not have otherwise met and bring solutions to life? This is interesting. When you are doing this, do you have... So essentially, you have investors and you want you have startups or I don't know technology firms or someone else, or how does it how does it work? Cool. So uh, there's me. I'm essentially the connector of people. Yeah. Um, there's governments on one side or agencies that are looking for investment. So they have projects or they want to create a wind farm, solar farm, hydropower, 
Um, and my focus is on emerging markets. So I'm working with a country, I don't know if I'm allowed to name. Um, so I'm working with countries in Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. for example, where I, should, I think I should just say, otherwise it becomes really awkward, right? No, I mean, no. if you if you sign in DA or something yeah. similar, don't worry about that. Yeah. Okay. So working with a, so for example, one of our clients is got, um, are in Eastern Europe and they're seeking to explore further how they can better produce renewable energy for themselves. Okay. So they have great access to the Black Sea. They have great, they have, <laughs> um, they've explored solar energy, wind power, um, and are looking at how do they better source, how do they better create, produce their own power so that they become less reliant on countries around them. And this is particularly important where, for example, smaller countries are next to Russia and feel worried that political opportunities... The politics might influence what their economics or like what actually having access to power looks like. So a lot more countries, like smaller economies, are looking at building up their self, looking at building their own like production of power and then how they can so sell So essentially that. they want to be self-sustainable. Essentially, yes. And how they produce power. I mean, what you're doing is amazing at the age of 24. That, that would kind of blows my mind a little bit. Can I be like you when I grow up? Oh, can I be like you when I grow up? Um, this is all possible because I'm my mentor, if you're met at a networking event, I encourage people to network. Um, during my time at university, I was a serial networker. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew that going into, corporate, going into the corporate world is something that I'm more interested in now. But then I was very much, I need to go and start my own thing. I don't know how I fit into the corporate lifestyle, nine to five, eight to um, so I met this really incredible individual who said well why aren't you introducing investments because I was born in Zimbabwe and he said well the opportunity is about to open up but they tend to work or emerging markets tend to work with people who understand their culture relationship or speak the language so you can be that open gateway and obviously as we all know Zimbabwe is not in that place right now but when they do get there I have hope I will be around and I'll be available um, considering something we were talking about during the break, do you, I mean, obviously, I would say the industry of investors, venture capitalists, and government, in most cases, is very, very sexist. Do you experience anything like that? Like, how do you, how do you cope with this? Oh my gosh, I remember the first event my mentor, like, signed me up for was, uh, like an investment evening. Uh, it was hosted by a prominent magazine and I turned up and looking around the room so I was one of two women the other woman was there accompanying her husband who works in investments everybody else was above the age of 40 um, I was pretty much the only woman and who like I was pretty much the only woman who was there because I worked in investment or I was trying to start working and like this is not exaggerated in any way shape or form somebody said what are you doing here little girl in the networking section after the presentation oh my gosh and i was just Jesus. like and he was probably old enough he was older than my father and i was just like what am i doing this is not the industry for me this is not it uh but my grandfather turned around and said i sent you there primarily for that reason for you to understand there aren't many women in this industry because it's not an ind easy industry to get into um, so you have to decide, are you here to try and do um, 
are you tr- are you here to make that happen um or are you like you have the decision to make essentially because not many women stay for the exact reason why that you've experienced but also many things go on um i don't think yeah many things happen i think sexism is so rife it's i think particularly around people who refuse to acknowledge it exists are often the people perpetrating it i have no further comments <laughs> I, I, to, to be honest i'm just speechless at this yeah. point just because um, um I'm, I'm both surprised and unsurprised in equal measures at this yeah yeah moving going <laughs> forwards seeing the industry as it is currently yeah. and seeing how difficult people find it when they do try and break in and are met with such comments yeah do you see that the work that you're doing is going to uh like is expanding the at least the presence of people who are um, actively trying within it? Or do you think that this is a good 10, 20 years away from having some sort of meaningful breakthrough for people who are not traditionally uh, within that industry? So I've met because um, when we engage with clients who are looking for investors, I don't do all the work. Obviously, I'm not qualified, but um, I have a network of different financial advisors, brokers, um, who I've gotten to know and one of the one who's become a good friend said to me he's like do you realize um, investment and like the finance sector were one of the most behind sectors um, there are in terms of achieving gender parity it's not even something that's talked about openly because everyone kind of knows yeah that thing you know oh yeah we should recruit more women okay we've got a woman on the fourth floor like what are you talking about we need more women um, so I think 10 to 20 years is positive. And then being a woman of colour, knowing that that's what it is for women, knowing for the diversity of... I mean, for men, I think it's much easier because you're... Yeah, the culture suits. Yeah. Obviously, despite all of this, you have managed to make a breakthrough and make your own company. For others who are looking to do that and to break into the sector do you have any advice for that you can't do this without an incredibly experienced mentor that's one thing i'm gonna say like without my mentor i probably would not be here um i probably would have like registered as dormant many many months ago we're actually approaching a year which i'm so excited about um but within like the first two weeks i would have been like okay that's great i've tried bucket list ticked no more um, I think having people around you or having that mentor who is experienced in investments, who understands FCA regulations, who understands the different kinds of people there are, who can foresee what you're going to experience and help you walk through that anyway, I think is beyond crucial. And then meeting with other people who are in the industry or people who are in financial services who assist how the industry works, I think is crucial because it's not an industry you can go alone. There's a African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, um, you don't go alone, essentially. That's paraphrase, but it's so true. I think this is a great place to end this episode. Thank you so much, Ethel. Thank you. Thank you, Zoe. That was incredibly interesting. But also, I hope that we will see the moment during our lifetimes when no one will dare to ask you, what are you doing here, little girl?
Thank you for joining us for this episode and special thanks to Ethel. If you want to hear more from her, you can follow the links in the description to the websites and companies mentioned throughout the podcast. Otherwise, you can follow her personally at at Ethel Tam. You can also follow our wonderful host Sasha at at Astanax or me at Braddock Zoe. Please like, share and subscribe on your current platform and we look forward to being curious with you next time.